Welcome to the newest episode, uh, Hot Out the Kitchen, of, uh, of Pod Bless America. Uh, I'm your host today, I'm Zach Ferris. Uh, I wear multiple hats. On one hand, I am the pastor of Lutheran Campus Ministry at the University of Colorado Boulder, and on the other, I am a citizen of the United States of America, registered voter in uh, city of Louisville, Boulder County, uh, in the state of Colorado. And I am Peter Severson. I'm the director of Lutheran Advocacy Ministry Colorado for the Rocky Mountain Synod ELCA. Boom! Wow. Peter, it's yes, been a while. Zach, it's been a while. It's been a while after our breakout episode where we talked about Kevin McCarthy at an In-N-Out, <laughs> uh, I believe near the Grapevine Santa Clarita. We did. Uh, people that, have been demanding more eps. That In-N-Out has since closed, I think. Which is really too <laughs> They're bad. building in and outs in Colorado. We didn't even need a ballot initiative to make it happen. Wow. But they are all kind of far away from my house. Aurora is as close as it or Lone Tree. I don't know. Uh Wow. I, that's, maybe that's the that, next thing. That's the hot new news uh of the of Pod Bless America. This is breaking we're we're breaking a lot breaking. of stories <laughs> on Pod Bless America. Peter, I don't know if you've heard. I uh, but it's twenty twenty. In the year of our Lord. Yes. A.D. It's okay with this podcast. Keeps it. We keep it on the A.D. We don't use the C.E. <laughs> Anno Domino. Is that how it works? I. That sounds correct. I think that's an Italian pizza chain. Um, that's right. But that is also what we use to denote years. And it is and 2020. 2020 has been super chill. Uh, <laughs> nice round uh, number. Everybody's projects about visioning for the future and strategic planning that were entitled Project 2020 have all gone just as smoothly as the name implied they might be. Yes. Uh, and you'll notice uh, a couple things about 2020. It is an even year. Yes. Uh, divisible by two, clearly, but it's also divisible by four, which Ooh. means when it comes time to fill out that little paper ballot mm -hmm. uh, that for all of us in the great state of Colorado comes in the mail very smoothly and without issue. Yes. Uh, <laughs> you got a whole lot of things to, to circle and to, to ascribe on your ballot. Yes, there are a lot of things going on this year uh, beyond just the candidates that we have heard a little bit Judges. about on the news. I think they're sort of been undercovered, but um, we do have a lot of ballot measures. We are, as you may know, Zach, in a direct democracy state. And so in Colorado... Our constitution is made out of aluminum foil. It's it, <laughs> That's right. And you can just inscribe... Basically anything you want to on there. Um, so what that means is that citizens can gather signatures, put things on the ballot for uh, people to vote on directly. They can make policy directly on the ballot, uh, bypassing our democratically elected officials. Um, how you might feel about that, that's up to you, the, the viewer uh, or the listener, I suppose. You might be viewers. I don't know. Um, but that's that's how we are. And so that's why we have so many things on the ballot. We have 11 statewide measures to decide on this year. So there's a lot of stuff. There is a lot of stuff to figure out. And i got to be honest with you, Peter, because it's just the mm. two of us. Nobody else is listening to this. <laughs> yes. Uh, right. I've been busy, man. Uh, 2020 yeah. actually not been that great for me. Uh, no? If I'm being no, it's been a little tough. Uh, wow. I've had to do a lot of child care. Uh, constant oh. cleaning of my house, which means it's never clean. Uh wow. And, you know, evidently I have a job where I work with a population of students who, uh, you know, have been locked down for three weeks at the time of this recording. But it looks good. Oof. Lockdown. It's, they're going unlocked tomorrow. They're unlocking it. So unlocking the it. chancellor is going to go over to the, the gymnasium where all mm -hmm. the students are being held and unlock the door. 
Right. Physical well, gesture I just made for this visual well, medium. This, this is a visual medium, as you said. So that's, uh, yeah, but, well, that's but, exciting for I've them. been really well, busy. As soon as, as soon as the students get out, they could vote. And, you know, but yeah, you've been busy. I've been busy. And what that means is I'm a really undecided and probably unprepared voter, Peter. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to need you to tell me exactly how I should vote, uh, <laughs> especially with candidates, because uh, I'm Ooh. one of the three. I'm a unicorn. I'm one of three people in the United States who is undecided with a presidential election. Um, wow. Just kidding. Wow. I know what I'm going to do there, Peter. But okay. to be honest, okay. I have not made it into the 11 ballot initiatives uh, so I'm this is my first immersive experience. And what I need you to do for me and for our listeners today is to yes. take me take me. I want you to take me there, as was yes. written by the great bard. I don't remember who wrote that song. I, um, Madonna. Yes, yeah, it is Madonna. Is I want Madonna? you yeah. and Madonna to take me deep into the 2020 uh, yes. Colorado State ballot initiatives. Uh, I hope to be a little more educated and ready to vote. Uh, I have not That's yet received my ballot. That's power. right. Well, in, in the midnight hour, uh, the state of Colorado will feel your power as a voter when you cast your ballot. And I would be more than happy to do that. I'm, I'm really glad that we have this chance to inform one another, mm -hmm. because I'm sure I'll learn from you uh, as much as I'm able to share as well. I hope to significantly shape uh, the perspective of Lutheran Advocacy Ministry with the force of my opinions. <laughs> well, uh, you'll be pleased to know that Lutheran Advocacy Ministry has already uh, taken positions. On Just wait till I start talking. Some some <laughs> of these ballot measures, maybe maybe Zach's opinions will change uh, where where we're at. But yes, we as an advocacy organization of the Lutheran Church, a faith based organization, we are able to take positions on ballot measures, uh, which we do when we've got them to decide on. We don't take positions on candidates or partisan political races so i'm um, sorry on that score you're gonna have to decide on your own somewhat sincere question here peter i am yes. a, a relig identified religious leader in the evangelical yes. lutheran church of america a minister of word and sacrament i can do both of them um and uh there are some limits around uh you know the political participation that religious organizations can do to to, to maintain their tax exempt status is that true for like a congress i mean i assume i'm assuming it is for a congregation as well that that with just candidates with like part i, I mean i it feels right that with partisan politics you can't have an official position but you can have like official positions with things like ballot uh measures Yes, uh, my my understanding is the same, um, and that's that's really true for any organization that's registered as a nonprofit. That um, you can take positions on issues, but not on uh, candidates. So that's I think that's going to be the case as well for yourself and your ministry context, as we call it. Yeah, it's um, good. Good, good, it's good. Really, it's really good, yeah. So that, that gives us a lot of latitude. So thankfully, as I said, uh, we are able to advocate on some of these issues. I think what I'm going to suggest, Zach, um, you know, you being this unicorn, undecided voter, um, just a babe in the woods, uh, that perhaps will we'll go through... That's what everybody says about me. I, <laughs> that's the uh, title of your forthcoming autobiography. Um <laughs> Yeah, so it's going to be, there's going to be 11 things, and I think what I'm going to do is just lead us through uh, 
the the six of these 11 that we have a, a yes or no position on, and then we can go to uh, go to the other ones that we don't have a position on, but we still might have something to say about it, um, something that might guide your thinking. If Excellent. So, yeah, maybe just to start, it might be helpful to know, uh, you as the voter, all of our all the viewers out there, we have we have a couple different types of things on the ballot. You'll see things that are called amendments and things that are called propositions. This year we have four amendments on the ballot, and then we have seven propositions. Uh, do you know the difference, Zach, between an amendment and a proposition? Oh, I mean, I assume that the amendment actually amends our state constitution and changes the language of the constitution, whereas a proposition is more of that kind of direct democracy where uh, we uh, give the legislators a break and uh, allow them not to make difficult decisions and we make them for them. <laughs> Yes, yes, that's very well said. Um, Thank you. That is that is correct. Amendments uh, are amendments to our state constitution. Propositions change what are called the Colorado Revised Statutes. The CRS. Yes, everyone loves the CRS. Uh, You can they can be found in like. 35 bound volumes down at the Capitol if you want to look at the actual You can also find them on the fifth floor of Denver Public Library, where my wife worked for a number of years. Wow. Well, there you go. So she ought to be a CRS expert. Uh, she having access. She her license plate begins with CRS, and that is how she remembers it. Wow, that's uh, serendipity. I guess is the word for that. Or, I think it's nerdy. But <laughs> yes, yeah, so the statutes are what those propositions change, which means that um, they are things that the legislature has the power to amend and change through the legislative process. The constitutional gotcha. amendments are things that have to be voted on by the people. So that is that is the difference. You are correct. Uh, it's 100 points. Um, Could you say that those things have to be voted on by we, the people? <laughs> Um, I could, but I won't because okay, good. Uh, it just seems like overkill. But yes. is, that the, is that how the state constitution begins? I, you know, you're putting me on the spot here and I, I don't. I would hope that not. That'd be way too on the nose. We need no, a little bit better than that. I think the Colorado constitution, I think, does have a slightly different uh, opening salvo. Okay. But um, I don't quote me on that. We'll, we'll edit this part out if that ends up being not true. Is that the Constitution um, or the Declaration of Independence? Read the people. Um, that's the Declaration of Independence, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good. In order to form a more perfect union, mm-hmm. yeah. establish justice, um, I have cetera, no idea how the Constitution begins. Uh, but take it away, Peter. <laughs> All right. So let's uh, let's start with the there. There's two amendments here that we've t- got to position on. So I want to talk about those first. The first one uh, is Amendment 76. This is called uh, citizens, citizenship qualification for electors. And what it would do is amend the state constitution from saying that every citizen who is a resident and over 18 years old is qualified to vote in Colorado to instead say only a citizen. So it would change that word every to only in the state constitution. So uh, we're, we're moving uh, – this proposal is to move us from um, – what in our view is inclusionary language about who is eligible to vote to exclusionary language. Basically, you know, every says this is an inclusive view, like others could be added only uh, means we're going to restrict this uh, to only. So there's a couple issues we see with this, and our official position is no on Amendment 76. We would uh, encourage that vote uh, if you should 
agree with our reasoning here, um, but the thought is, uh, so our ELCA social teaching is what we rely on to take positions on all any ballot measure uh, that we're going to have a yes or no position on. And uh, we have this new, this really good, I would, I would recommend document for folks to read called Discipleship in a Democracy. It was mm. just uh, passed by the church council recently. Um, talks about basically how do we engage in a democratic system as uh, faithful disciples of Jesus Christ? In how do we how do we view our position in that system? Uh, one of the things we say in there is that efforts to restrict access to voting should be condemned and resisted. So it puts us pretty squarely in the camp of wanting to expand access to voting as much as we can, and uh, this being a, an effort to restrict access, uh, at least facially on its face, is is an effort to restrict access. Something that we want to oppose. So, uh, to set us up for where we're headed and stuff, that is the the kind of litmus test that Lutheran Advocacy Ministry uses in order to take positions, right? Or they're directly directly yeah, governed right. by social statements, by the yeah, ELCA's so social statements. Right. We as a church, the ELCA, have a whole body of social teaching called social statements, social messages. Which isn't a it's, great name for the documents, Peter, because they're like no. books. <laughs> Right. A statement you would think is like a paragraph. Um, mm-hmm. We could call them uh, novellas, maybe. Novellas. They are like novellas. Yeah. They're just, you know, sort of little little books uh, that you can read. They, they have gotten longer as the years have gone on. It's uh, kind of like the Harry Potter series. It just like mm-hmm. gets longer with every installment. Um, Hopefully less transphobic towards the end. Um, I, well, I, we're going to we're going to get in some real hot takes on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> They're typically better than you think they would end up being. Um, oh, absolutely. And, I think and our social statements are really are well done. Yeah, yeah, and and what I've always been impressed with them when I've when I've gotten when I found and made the opportunity to to dive into one is uh, the sincerity with which they they wrestle with the complexity of issues. Um, yeah, which yeah. is which strikes me as particularly faithful and helpful. So, yeah. Well, I I would have to agree with you there. I really think that the the opportunity that people from across the church have to influence that process is really um, uh, open and helpful in terms of gathering many voices and and the process that our folks um, who draft the statements uh, use is really faithful as well. They're, and they use like experts and stuff, you know, yeah, not, I mean, know what they're talking lay about. people are, are involved in the process, of course, but it's not just lay people. Um, That's right. You know, so... Uh, amendment, so, yeah. what is this, 77 we're talking about? So this or is 76. 76. Yeah. The, um, the one one it, more thing yep. that I want to say about this, and I would invite your question. Uh, it, this might My question is people. currently uninvited. I'd like to make a note for the listener. <laughs> I, well, we're, this is an invitational podcast, so I will, by invitation, <laughs> you lead you excellent. in the next. Uh, 76 might lead you to think that people who are not citizens can vote in Colorado elections right now. And that is not the case. Uh, this one of the reasons we also oppose this is we think that it generates some unfounded suspicion towards you know neighbors here in Colorado who may not be documented. Um, suspicion towards people thinking that they're you know voting in elections when they're not supposed to. Well, they're not able to right now, so that's that's worth knowing. And it's also worth knowing that this is being funded by an out of state five hundred one c four based in Florida. Uh, a guy, basically one rich guy who is trying to do this in as many states as he possibly can. He's gotten it 
accomplished in at least one state so far. And, and this is on the ballot in, I think, Florida and Alabama, as well as Colorado this year. Um, he's trying to uh, trying to do that across the country. So just worth knowing that. I was going to ask, because it, it's a fairly expensive endeavor to get something on the ballot and to have an issue that that, as I read it, would have no effect on. I mean, yeah, people, the, it's not going to change like the reality. Of, I mean, well, the, I, the one thing mm -hmm. the one thing this would actually do is that 17 year olds who can currently vote in certain like school board elections oh, yeah. because they'll be 18 by the general election would actually be excluded from voting. Because if you change it to say only people over 18, mm -hmm. uh, 18 or over can vote basically that eliminates their participation. Gotcha. So there is one actual effect, but beyond that, no, there's no actual practice. It seems really expensive to make a, a, a semantical change in the it, Constitution. It is, it is. And I, I think there's, there's ample evidence to suppose that this is on the ballot in order to drive um, voter turnout based on that fear that, you know, some of our neighbors are voting when they shouldn't be. And again, that's not the case. So... And, and that's I mean, I think that's worth lifting up that in a state like Colorado, whose whose constitution is particularly malleable and can be easily changed, uh, it invites a lot of uh, out of state investment because you get to play with our constitution um, because yes. it's relatively easy to change. That's that's true. Well, it's relatively is the operative word there. Um, again, as you mentioned, it requires a lot of money. So if you have a ton of money to throw around, uh, then sure, it seems relatively accessible. And I have heard it said that states are laboratories of democracy. So, you know, only the richest scientists may tinker in this laboratory. Peter, I have an say. update. Yes. Uh, fact checking the podcast while we go. I would like to say, number one, number yes. one rule for this podcast, never doubt ourselves, Peter. We are always right. We're always the right. Preamble yes. to the Constitution does begin, we the people, in order to form a more perfect union. Uh, wow. So congratulations to us for getting it right ourselves uh, the first time around. Then we doubted ourselves and said it was Declaration of Independence. No. It was not. Uh, yeah. And then I can give you the preamble uh, right now, Peter, to the Constitution of the State of Colorado, which is I like. I'm excited about. I don't know oh, if I like it yet. I, I've just briefly there. read it. We, you ready? We, <laughs> yep. the people of Colorado, with profound mm. reverence for the supreme ruler of the universe, in Ooh. order to form a more independent and perfect government, establish justice, ensure tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this constitution for the state of Colorado. Wow. Reverence for the supreme ruler of the universe. All I mean, we're trying to do here is ensure tranquility. Peter, tranquility. how are we doing? We basically have done uh, it, right? Well, uh, <laughs> yes and no. Uh, <laughs> yes, we have... Uh, attempted to ensure tranquility. No, we have not uh, ensured it. But we, the, it's a stated aim. And that's, I appreciate you reading that because I don't know that I've heard those exact words. Yeah. So, Supreme Ruler of the Universe, um, just as a reference point for all this. An well, independent government. <laughs> all right, moving along, Peter. Let's move on to in Amendment B. Um, Amendment B 
the reason that, by the way, that this has a letter instead of a number is that this was referred by the legislature. Our, our elected officials referred this to the ballot, and any time that happens, the proposition or amendment gets a letter instead of a number. So Amendment B came from the legislature, and it is to repeal the Gallagher Amendment, the 1982 constitutional amendment passed uh, in the state of Colorado to uh, fix the ratio of revenue from residential and commercial property taxes. Uh, that sounds a little esoteric. And so I, I want to clarify, there are folks who maybe have heard this word Gallagher. It was named for its sponsors, former state senator, Dennis Gallagher. God, that guy uh, hated watermelons. Uh, he did not care for watermelons. And I don't know if he has softened uh, with age on the watermelon <laughs> question or not. But um, Watermelon sugar. But certainly, certainly when it came to property taxes, he had some specific opinions. So the, the goal of the Gallagher Amendment was to prevent uh, an excessive, uh, dis basically, imbalance between uh, residential and commercial property tax revenue. So the idea being that homeowners would not be paying like a disproportionate share, basically, gotcha. over, over commercial. Um, however, this passed in 1982. And in the early 90s, you may recall, because I know, Zach, you were uh, very politically aware. Let's go Hornets. In the early 90s. Uh, thinking about the Charlotte Hornets and other such things, that um, we passed something called the Taxpayer Bill of Rights, mm, Tabor, Tabor, as it's known. And what Tabor did was, among many other things, prevent the legislature from and, and other districts, any district, from voting to raise taxes without a vote of the people in that district. So what that meant was, because the Gallagher Amendment automatically balances that ratio uh, the more that homes become valuable in Colorado, and I don't know if you uh, remember these last uh, decade here, but homes have become pretty valuable. I am Colorado. landed gentry. Uh, you are effectively, yeah, you're the 1% uh, in terms mm -hmm. of your ownership of uh, a pied-a-terre up there. <laughs> but yeah, this what that means is that because the value is going up, well, we can't be collecting more revenue from Resident, residential property tax. So that's going to ratchet downward automatically uh, in order to keep the ratio. But because of Tabor, the legislature and those districts cannot vote to raise that again if the property values change. Uh, basically, it can only go down. Mm -hmm. uh, now, of course, technically it can go up if people vote to raise it. But, um, you know, Zach, I don't know <laughs> about you, but if I have a question on my ballot about raising my own taxes, if I'm you know, just looking at it on its face, I might be inclined to say, well, no, I don't want to do that. I think I'm particularly generous with taxes, Peter. I, I yeah. go into the ballot box. I don't go into the ballot box. We're really clear. I don't well, go into the box. In, with the, right, yeah. I go into the voting booth. Uh, yes. I don't go into the box where you Again, put the ballots. Again, we don't have booths, That's illegal, yes. I believe. <laughs> uh, I go into the metaphorical booth and I say, hey, I'm willing to give you guys $750 a year. Do whatever you want with it. Wow. That's well, you're very generous in that mm -hmm. respect. Um, it, it's maybe not where most folks find themselves naturally inclined. Let's oh, say that. Gotcha. So the point being, this, this is ratcheting down revenue. And the problem that we have faced that, that a very widely bipartisan group of legislators has realized, and that's why they put this on the ballot, is that uh, because the revenue is decreasing from that ratcheting down, uh, all kinds of districts in the state are finding themselves deprived uh, of all sorts of revenue 
that they might otherwise be counting on from residential property taxes. Uh, this affects school districts, this affects fire districts, this affects libraries, parks, water districts, all kinds of um, basically specialized districts that collect certain kinds of taxes find themselves uh, losing revenue because of this ratchet down effect. So Amendment B is proposing to repeal the Gallagher Amendment. It would also, uh, it's important to note, freeze the property tax assessments at the current rate right now. So it would not, uh, it would not raise those taxes automatically into some outrageous stratospheric rate. It would freeze them where they are now. It would simply prevent them from continuing to ratchet down gotcha. right now. So that is, that is the key piece of the Gallagher Amendment. That's why we are, we're, we're yes on this. Uh, we really believe that um, there is a certain stewardship involved in paying taxes. Uh, in fact, the ELCA social statement on economics talks about this, um, saying that paying taxes to enable government to carry out the promotion of the common good and other purposes is an appropriate expression of our stewardship in society rather than something to be avoided. Give to Caesar. Uh, <laughs> well, Caesar is um, is a strong word, uh, but yes. I mean, does the Bible use it? Yes. But anyway, um, so yeah, we're we're talking about basically things things that make Colorado a good place to live. You know, having quality libraries, schools, parks, uh, having fire protection, um, public safety services, that kind of thing. I mean, if we're going to continue to starve those districts um, of really critical revenue, especially in rural areas, yeah. we're going to find that quality of life really degrading um, in ways that we probably won't appreciate. So that's Amendment B. Uh, let's move on then, if we may, to, uh, I want to talk about actually Propositions 116 and 117 next. Mm. So these are statutory, again, affecting the law, the state body of law, the CRS. Uh, and these are also related to tax and, and budget and finance stuff. Uh, so this, I know, is not everybody's jam, and so bear with me, uh, but I think these are, 116 is pretty straightforward uh, to understand. Uh, and I should say up front, we have taken a no position on both of these. Prop 116 is the state income tax rate reduction. We were just talking about it, taxes. I did uh, not know that Colorado had a flat tax. We do have a flat tax. Yes, well observed. Our That's state income tax is flat, 4.63%. Uh, no matter who you are or how much you're making, uh, of course, you know, some people are really good at finding deductions, uh, as we've learned. But, yes, we do have a flat tax, and this is a proposal to decrease that flat tax rate from 463 to 4.55%, a solid eight one-hundredths of a percentage point for individuals, estates, trusts, C-corps, all that kind of thing. So, getting back to the the... The paying taxes thing, right? Like, it seems on face, like, yeah, I would, I want to lower my tax bill. Like, I don't want to pay as much. I, and, you know, a lot of people now are struggling in the recession with the pandemic, like, totally understandable. The challenge here is that if you are an average income Colorado, uh, if this passed, you would see your tax bill go down by somewhere between like 30 and $40. So 30 to 40 bucks. Um, however, collectively, if this passed, the legislature would immediately need to find about $160 million in budget cuts, uh, most that would mostly probably come out of public services, um, things, things that are funded by that general fund revenue, things that make Colorado a good place to live. 
uh, the bigger problem that we see, the reason we oppose this actually, is not just is not so much that it's like lowering taxes for you know regular income folks, but that it because it's a across the board cut, people that are rolling in the deep, as it were, making a lot of money are going to see a huge reduction in their tax bill. Those are the people that are going to really save a lot of money if this passes. And the problem here, too, is, you know, when government collects tax revenue, I want to credit Carol Hedges from the Colorado Fiscal Institute for this uh, observation. When, when the government collects taxes, basically that money generally gets spent immediately. Um, there's very Colorado is not very good at saving money, actually. Uh, we probably should be a lot better than we are. But a lot of that money, as it comes in, just gets spent immediately. The argument that some folks who support this make is that, you know, this goes into the pockets of Coloradans and, you know, gets spent in the economy. It'll, it'll juice the economy, right? You're going to spend it on, uh, uh, I don't know if that's a toy xylophone in the background of your house. So you could buy more. All, think of all the toy xylophones. All the Legos, yeah. Legos, Sure. I mean, mm-hmm. Legos for days uh, or, you know, critical things, right? Like gasoline, food, diapers, uh, you know, things that people need. 30 to 40 bucks. New skis. Probably new skis. You could buy, I think, 5% of one ski. Of a single ski. That's correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. You, you could, could buy, buy 15 minutes. Uh, you could ride one ride on the lift. For your one, daily one ticket. Lift ride. Mm-hmm. That's right. With 30 bucks. You cannot actually, you can't, Peter. I'm going to oh. go off on a slight tangent here. This summer <laughs> I have vacationed, uh, thanks to uh, the generosity of one of our supporters, uh, for Ooh. a week at a condo in Vail. Uh, wow. Which is lovely. Uh, it's even lovely in the summer. And we were like, let's kill it some time, because that's all you do with a four-year-old. Uh, like I have, and uh, let's kill some time on the gondola. You can buy it to the top, and there are things to do up there. Uh, sure. It costs forty-five dollars per person to ride the gondola at Vale in the summer. Wow! We decided a hundred and fifty dollars for our family of three to ride the gondola to the top when you can't even ski down. Uh, little, little rich for our blood. You That's could not, with the average tax break that you're going to get uh, on this, you could not ride the gondola at Vail in the summer. Not you even one time. You can't even ride the gondola once in the summertime. I mean, oh. that's 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 an analogy that I think a lot of Coloradans can can really understand. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate you bringing that up. Yeah. So the the issue here then is that uh, if if the idea is that we want that money to go out into the economy to be spent on needed goods and services, if we cut taxes across the board and give huge tax breaks to the wealthiest among us. The, st- the studies that we have show, and this, I, again, I refer to the Colorado Fiscal Institute. They do great work on this stuff. Uh, shows that the, the rich among us generally are going to just save that money. They're not going to spend it. So we're basically taking $160 million a year out of the state budget so that upwards of $100 million or more of that can just be hoarded by the wealthy and put into trusts and savings accounts and whatever other vehicles the market, they so choose. Yeah, uh, yeah they, it will not be spent in Colorado to benefit our economy. Um, the, the technical term for this is the marginal propensity to consume. If you are an economics nerd and you want to look that up, that's what we're really specifically talking about. Um, so yeah, the value of the services we get from collecting that tax revenue and spending it on all of us in a more equitable fashion uh, is is way more important to the quality of our life than a very small tax cut that will not even get you up the gondola once in the summertime 
in Vail. It won't get you up the gondola, but it will buy someone else a ski home in Vail. It will. <laughs> wow. I mean, that's sort of a grim way to put it, but it's actually probably correct. This, these kinds of propositions, uh, they get me a little fussy, Peter, right? Like, uh, I mean, I, I don't have, I'm not working from a social statement here, but from pretty orthodox Lutheran theology in the priesthood of all believers having faith. Uh, that through everybody embracing their vacations, we might, uh, you know, create and live in a more just world. I don't even know, like, I, I can't even put into context as a relatively educated and informed citizen what $170 million is in the Colorado State budget. Uh, it should not be my job. I am not equipped to determine the appropriate tax rate for the state of Colorado. We elect legislators to do legislation um, so I would like the people that I vote for and pay to do that job to, uh, you know, do it. Yes. Well said. I mean, we do pay leg our legislators, our reps to do this, this work. I think the last thing I want to say about this too, is that, um, the reason this is on the ballot, uh, is a little background for folks to know. Lutheran advocacy was at the table with a lot of other groups for almost two years, trying to put together what we called a fair tax measure. Uh, that would have that would have lowered the tax rate for 95% of Colorado taxpayers. You would have seen a reduction in your tax bill. I could have uh, almost ridden the gondola. You could have almost ridden that gondola, uh, but it would have raised it in progressive steps for the highest income brackets above $250,000 per person uh, and above. And this, the idea behind this was to raise money for, again, critical services that are chronically underfunded in Colorado, like education, transportation, other things. Um, the specific proposal that we had, we were trying to get on the ballot, partially because of the pandemic, making it really hard to collect signatures, and partially because it's so expensive to collect signatures, we were not able to get that on the ballot. Well, this was put on the ballot, Prop 116, in order to confuse voters basically as a smokescreen to prevent them from understanding the distinction between our fair tax measure and just an across-the-board reduction. So it was deliberately put on there as something this, this measure will very much materially benefit the wealthiest among us. Our fair tax measure would have collected extra revenue from them that they wouldn't probably have even noticed was gone in order to fund really important services um, so that's just some background to know that this was designed to confuse voters, and uh, we oppose it. Peter, I feel like I can give you one more piece of messaging help for Coloradans. Oh, um, if you are a non-Coloradan listener to this podcast, uh, you may not know it, but people in Colorado like to get fussy about people who move here from California. Oh, uh, all the time. Oh, we hate Californians, man. Um, as a person who moved here 10 years ago from California. California. <laughs> um, <laughs> I feel like I have a special insight into this. I would yeah. assume that most of the people moving here from California are in those higher tax brackets um, because they're looking to escape higher tax, bra tax brackets uh, in, in California. So if you want to stick it to Californians uh, who've moved to Colorado, you know, vote no on Proposition 116. Wow. I'd never thought about framing it that way, but that's... Uh that's very you I think might have a future in political messaging oh, that's we can only hope <laughs> that's my you don't only. look very hopeful about that career future but <laughs> that's that's probably just for the best oh Peter we are going to be knock off pod bless get, pod save America I mean, we already are trying to be knock off pod we already are save knocking off the name yeah. America people but <laughs> we'll keep it rolling this is great well let's let's jump over to the end of prop 117 it's the next one on the ballot right below it 
We're also opposing this measure, um, largely for reasons that you alluded to before. So we'll, we'll talk about that. It is voter approval of certain new enterprises. Uh, because of the aforementioned TABOR, Taxpayer Bill of Rights, uh, the state has the option to create what are called enterprises. Enterprises are things that are uh, based on the fees of users that use them. So you are, are trying to access a certain service, you pay a fee, that uh, is, endeavor is called an enterprise in terms of how the money is collected, so it doesn't count as revenue under the cap that the Tabor, the Taxpayer Bill of Rights, puts on Like the revenue. University of Colorado. Uh, the, the University of Colorado, I don't know how they're specifically involved, but yes, so there, there are enterprises like College 529 funds that are very popular, that are based on the, the money people pay in. That's considered an enterprise, for sure. Uh, other examples of enterprises, the Division of Parks and Wildlife in Colorado. Um, I'm a certain, licensed fisher. Really? Mm -hmm. So you have paid in to this enterprise? As is my wife. We, uh, we do couples fly fishing. Wow, that is... I'm here to help with all your Colorado messaging. Wow, well, welcome back to Fly Talk. Let's talk more about the fly fishing uh, endeavors. Getting hot and heavy this fall. The, the flows are down, which concentrates the fish, right? When it's too high, oh. there's a lot more water, so fish can be anywhere. But when flows go down... Uh, and you and you're still clear. You uh, before the snow comes, you you got it's it's best fishing because the so you go up in the mountains. Air. You find the the creeks where they're all concentrated. When, well, when the when the flow goes low, you go high. That's that, right. That's right. That right. Michelle Obama taught me everything I needed to know about fly fishing. <laughs> wow, wow. Uh, well, that's excellent. So Parks and Wildlife is an example of an enterprise. Uh, what Prop 117 would do is require the voters, you and I, everyone in Colorado, to vote on any new state enterprises that will collect more than $100 million in the first five years. So, Zach, you alluded before to the idea that um, you, get a little, you get a little itchy, mm. uh, a little, little irascible when You're it comes to... You're not going to know this. You, know, you probably hadn't, don't, have not picked up on this, Peter, but I can get fussy. <laughs> yes. Well, you did say you have a four-year-old, so maybe you take after her. We place. learned from each other. Yeah. Uh, so you get irascible when the, the legislature is sort of circumvented, uh, when they are not being asked to do their job, but instead you are being asked to do the job that you already pay them to do. Well, Prop 117 is uh, basically the product of folks who are frustrated that enterprises are able to get around the Tabor cap, um, and they want to require voters to approve these things. So the challenge here is that this is rolling back democratic representation in the state. Uh, it takes power away from our democratically elected legislature. Uh, and it also might negatively impact existing enterprises because if they are collecting certain amounts of revenue that fall below this $100 million, but then they go above the $100 million, we don't actually know the answer to this, but legally speaking, they might be subject to a new vote of the people if this passes. So we might be having to put Parks and Wildlife on the chopping block, depending on their revenue, uh, if Prop 117 passes. So we are opposed to this. Uh, we don't think it's a good idea. We think it's anti-democratic. And uh, basically those services that benefit all Coloradans uh, don't need to be subject to this kind of vote because, again, they're funded by user fees. They're not even funded by uh, generally collected tax revenue. So to reframe it for Coloradans, uh, yeah. like myself, who, uh, you know, DPW, when I give him my $40 a year, I am investing in, I, I want that $40 to be investing in 
uh, fisheries, hatches yeah. protecting, uh, you know, uh, the water so that I can I can go out whenever I whenever I want, you know, and catch beautiful uh, fish, uh, yeah, you know, uh, pike. Uh, Never called pike, uh, cat but fish. I don't actually know. I'm not yeah, a fisher. Just, just <laughs> trout, trout, just trout. Uh, trout that's all I really want to catch is trout. Um, yeah. Trout are beautiful, and so unless you hate mm. trout, uh, but no, I right. <laughs> This is uh, this is fishing adjacent. If you sure. want to wear that Patagonia hat that has the tea time uh, skyline emblazoned on a trout, you got to vote no. Yeah, then you have to vote no. Next That's... person I see wearing that Patagonia hat, I'm going to ask them, how did you vote on 117? 117. And if they say I voted yes, I'm just going to pop it off their head. Wow, wow. And it's then we're going to get an Old West style brawl. Because it'll definitely happen at the Mountain Sun, the Southern Sun in Boulder, which is where all my bras, my bar bras happen. It's a great brewery, uh, great brawling brawl spot. Gosh, I miss that place. I can't wait to get back to there. Someday. Someday in the distant future. The year 2000. Uh, Well, let's go. Let's go right below this to Prop 118 then. Uh, Paid family medical leave insurance program. Uh, we are a yes on Prop 118. We are supporting Prop 118. This would create a paid family and medical leave insurance program uh, using payroll taxes to provide up to 12 weeks of paid leave beginning in 2023. This is something the legislature has tried to do for years, and they have not been able to uh, come to a, an agreement. Uh, they, there was a bill that was going to be introduced in the legislature this year, uh, right around the time the pandemic really took hold. And so once they shut down uh, and they came back, they were not able to, to do that. But this is putting it before the voters. Uh, we're really excited to support paid leave. We really think this is an opportunity for us to collectively invest in one another. Uh, it also is just a way to affirm that like getting sick and giving birth and caring for a really ill family member, a child, a parent, or whomever, a spouse. This is something that affects everyone. Um, If you can get through life without having to be seriously sick yourself, to take time off for pregnancy, childbirth, uh, to care for a seriously ill person, you know, congratulations. Like, that's, you're very fortunate. Um, For most people, that is not going to be the case. And so this recognizes that paid leave is really critical in those times in life, Um, it's the kind of thing that, uh, is really incredibly helpful once you have access to it and you discover the value of having your, your livelihood protected, having some income repayment available to you, uh, and not having to think about that in moments when you're trying to, you know, care for a dying parent or care for your seriously ill child or experience the joy of, you know, bringing a new child into the world, that kind of stuff. If I could give you, Peter, just a brief testimonial. Oh, by all means. Testimonial. Um, I uh, I know I'm aware that I uh, joked earlier in the podcast that 2020 has been a, a difficult year, but it's not a joke, Peter. Uh, mm. Life has been really hard for the past eight months. I have a four-year-old daughter who, when she was two years old, was hospitalized with pneumonia and walked wow. around for a month uh, carrying an oxygen tank. And a two-year-old carrying an oxygen tank oh. is just the happiest sight you ever seen, right? Oh, my God. Um, as I've also mentioned earlier, I am laying gentry, uh, which is almost kind of true. It really means that I have, uh, I'm paying a whole lot of money every month uh, to live in a wonderful place. Uh, And the reality 
is that over the past uh, six to eight months, there's nothing that my family has been able to do. We both, my wife and I both had to continue working uh, without childcare, uh, and that sucks and it hasn't gone well. Um, and I know this this uh, proposition would not directly help my situation, um, but as a person, uh, I could speak for my wife and I, that we like working and want to work, um, and our productivity, because of our lack of support from um, the society and community uh, standpoint, uh, has been uh, really low and would be a lot higher if uh, if we, you know, supported people when these sorts of things happen that definitely happen and have significant impacts on our quality of lives and our productivity in the economy if you want to be that cold and uh, financial about it. Yeah, I, well, that's really well said. Thank you for that testimonial because um, that's that's exactly it, right? Like I, I had access to paid leave uh, to take time off when my grandfather died and I needed to go back and be with my family and you know, I didn't have to think about that aspect of it in the midst of, you know, grieving with everyone like that. That was not a concern. But there are people in Colorado who are like going back to work two weeks after giving birth to a new human being. Like I cannot even imagine or having to decide between caring for their sick mother and keeping their job. And that's just not a fair trade off by any means. There is the like the there was the COVID uh, extra um, family leave stuff that happened, but it's not full paid. Um, so we can't. I mean, I gotta make them. <laughs> uh, the bank says we gotta pay pay them every month. Um, they say that a lot about a lot of things. Yeah, yeah. So and yeah, so, um, so people may be familiar with anything. FMLA, which is a federal law, Family Medical Leave Act, but that is unpaid leave. And the challenge there is that like this affirms and recognizes, yeah, people need money in order to like sustain their life and livelihood. So um, Prop 118 is structured so that if you are a lower income, you will get a higher percentage of your wages paid. Um, so it is progressively structured in that sense. Um, you know, our, our ELCA social statement on economics that I referred to before, it also has this really good section about autonomy and interdependence. Uh, it says, while autonomy and self-sufficiency are highly valued in our society, as people of faith, we confess that we depend on God and are interdependent with one another. And that's what I think this really recognizes. Like, we're dependent on others when we're in, you know, a serious situation. And this is a way to invest in each other and support each other. So we think it's a good investment would rather invest in each other uh, than in a lot of other things. So, so we support it. Yes, I'm 118. Don't be a jerk. <laughs> That's fine. That's a great one. Well, let's go to the last one that we have a position on. We, as I said, we have positions on six of these. Uh, we have one more to talk about that we are supporting, and then we can just do some quick hits at the end with the last five, uh, just so that we we know the full extent of what's on the ballot. So we got Prop 113. That's the last one I want to talk about that we have taken a position on, and that position is yes. This is a veto referendum. Uh, are you familiar with veto referenda, Zach? No. We don't veto. get a lot of these. Yeah. Uh, this is this is kind of rare. This what it is is a referendum on legislation that the legislature already passed. Uh, basically, you can go out and collect enough signatures if you want on any bill the legislature passes and try to get it on the ballot for the people to vote on. Um, to basically veto that piece of legislation or affirm it. So that is what has happened here. A large uh, group of people with a lot of funding came together to try to undo 
Senate Bill 19-042, which was passed last year. And what that bill would do is join Colorado to the National Popular Vote Compact, uh, which would assign Colorado's presidential electors uh, in the Electoral College to the winner of the National Popular Vote for President. So a yes vote on 113 is to affirm the legislation, to adopt it. A no vote is, is to say no on it. Um, so we are, we are a yes on this. Zach, are you familiar with the Electoral College and its uh, if impact on American life? I applied, but my SATs were not good enough to get in. <laughs> Their football team's terrible, though. <laughs> they, I think they lost to Hofstra last week. Mm. Um, They're always yeah. playing Quinnipiac. <laughs> now, we should be clear. The Electoral College in Quinnipiac should not be playing college football in a pandemic. I think that's, I mean, that's my position anyway. Currently, Peter, um, the Pac-12 is scheduled to play football, but football players at the University of Colorado are not legally allowed to leave their apartments at the moment. Wow, so they could be playing like, uh, could they do like Madden 2020 or something in lieu of the actual um, game? I, I'm for, I mean, they used to make a college football game, but then there were some issues evidently about them not paying players for their name, image, and likeness. Interesting that you would not pay them for their name, image, and likeness while you're making money off of them. What? So that's, well, I'm oh, sorry, that's a whole other thing. Yeah, so the next week college, on Pod Blessing America. <laughs> We could have a whole issue. Uh, a whole I'm really well educated that. on that issue, Peter. We could we could go we could go deep. Oh, you! I mean, you're in you're in the zeitgeist of the, mm -hmm. the college life. It's like you could talk about it. Uh, so anyway, the pop, the electoral college, the popular vote. As you know, the national popular vote does not determine who the president is. The electoral college does. Uh, the The winner of the electoral college in two of the last five presidential elections has not matched the national popular vote. This has created some problems, and the problems are not necessarily what? in <laughs> the problems are not necessarily in the in the partisan results, like specific to whatever to the party, right? Like mm -hmm. I want to I want to sort of stay away from that piece. What I what I want to observe is that when the national popular vote does not result in the winner of the actual election for president, the lawful winner, uh, people's faith in the democratic process and system is pretty severely degraded. Um, you know, I vote for president, and the national result is, you know, 65 million votes to X candidate, 62 million votes to Y candidate. Uh, it's, it can be frustrating when the person who gets the most votes doesn't win the election. That doesn't really seem to make sense in a democratic system. The Electoral College uh, has a lot of history to it, and for folks that are listening, there's a lot you can read about this. Uh, Born out of a, I think we could probably fairly call it a um, racially motivated uh, system of apportioning political power to uh, people of the white persuasion in the early days of the republic. I mean, that might be a hot take. Might be a hot, hot take. take. <laughs> Did the Electoral College uh, favor white landed gentry <laughs> in slaveholding states? Maybe. Um, so you got a real here, dissertation in the works here. Oh Peter. boy, this this is I'm I'm gonna get some phone calls about this one. Um, they're gonna go to voice. You could be a Rhodes Scholar. I, oh, we'll get into Cecil Rhodes next week on the podcast. Um, so anyway, we are supporting 113 because we do believe that if the National Popular Vote Compact is successful, and what that is, is if enough states with a majority of electoral college votes adopt this 
then the Electoral College will be bypassed and the, the winner of the popular vote will become the president. Um, we think that if that is successful, it will um, be a measure of restoring people's faith in the democratic system. It will be on its face clearly more democratic than the Electoral College. Um, it will uh, move us away from a system where we basically, if we have an incentive to support it because our state is disproportionately advantaged in the Electoral College in terms of our representation in Congress and in that system, uh, it might invite us to think more about what is helpful to our neighbor rather than just ourselves. Um, and yeah, we just believe that we don't want to breed mistrust and apathy and cynicism about democracy. We want a system that actually um, people can and will believe in. So that's I've, why we're supporting it. I've got a new. I mean, I'm 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 no <laughs> have not been a fan of the Electoral College. Uh, I've lived in uh, states that are uh, not in any way a part of. Uh, especially, you know, presidential elections. Uh, I lived in, as I said, California for a while. Uh, I've lived in South Carolina, um, which uh, living in those kinds of places, you do feel uh, disenfranchised that your vote is not going to matter very much. But the, the new kind of uh, insight that I've had recently has come as I've gotten back into bed. Uh, I'm back with 538. Uh, oh, boy. Carefully watching the polls. He's changed. OK, he's different yes, this he's, time. He's different now. OK. All right. Um, but that when you look at states that are considered, you know, not uh, battleground states, mm -hmm. um, the margins aren't that big, mm -hmm. right? Like here in Col Colorado, which has been interesting over my 10 years in Colorado that we have, uh, uh, I remember in 2012, uh, Barack Obama came to campus in Boulder all the time, uh, like three times. Uh, Hillary Clinton has never come, never came to Boulder uh, you know, and Joe Biden for some other reasons as well, but he, I don't think he would come no COVID, uh, to, to Boulder because we're not a battleground state, but the margins only like seven, eight points, right? Like it's not that big. And right. so even when you're a state, that's not a battleground, the state that you, the side that, that you are like, so we're, we're, we're fairly blue now, um, can take you for granted, right? That, that, yeah. that for the vast, that if they were forced to to more fairly, more more fully invest in Colorado issues, um, they're going to do that. But I mean, the same thing yeah. in South Carolina, right? Like they can count on you and don't really need to be too concerned about issues in in South Carolina because why would they pander or not pander? But right, why would they really get invested in your issues because they've already got you and it doesn't matter to them whether they win by ten or fifteen points. Right. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. I mean, the adopting a national popular vote rather than electoral college means that everyone's vote actually does count in that way. Uh, it gives people faith that their vote matters on a national level. Um, again, if yeah, if like you say, if you are, you know, a Democrat voting in South Carolina in the presidential election, you might feel like my vote doesn't count. If you're a Republican voting in California for president, you probably feel like my vote doesn't count. Well, th this is an interesting stat that I always, I like to sort of bandy about. Did you know that in 2016, in the presidential election, there were more votes for Donald Trump for president in Los Angeles County alone than in Montana, Wyoming, North Dakota, and South Dakota combined? There, <laughs> these, these demographics are not like evenly these states are not monoliths, right? And, mm -hmm. and if we get rid of the Electoral College, if we bypass it, it will actually, I think, encourage candidates for president 
to have to wage a national campaign rather than just a regional one that pieces together a few battleground states in order to win in the Electoral College. When I lived in California, I, I lived in Kern County, uh, which is, uh, I lived in uh, I almost lived in Kevin. I did not actually live in Kevin McCarthy's district, but it was the other side of the highway. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, you, I mean, you knew the in and out that he was at. Yeah, yeah I knew the in and out. Um, but Kern County's uh, red, right? Like very, very red. It's yeah. very conservative. And a part of what makes it so conservative and polarized is that they feel disenfranchised because they're in California and we're the island of conservatism and it's hopeless mm-hmm. and our votes don't count here and we're taken advantage of, you know? Right. Yeah, I, and that's that's what you hear. That's you hear this apathy and this cynicism about the process. And I think the popular vote compact is a way around that. Um, so I'm hoping that uh, voters will approve this. Uh, we are supporting it again, and uh, that's Prop One Thirteen for you. Boom. Well, Zach, we're we're nearing the end of our time. I wonder if you want to do some quick hits. Oh, with let's the quick last, hit it. Lightning the last round. Five positions let's pretend we're on the top of a fourteener after <laughs> lunchtime. It's time for lightning it's round. It's time for the lightning round. Now, as somebody who just summited Mount Sneffels on Saturday, I can tell you that uh, you know there are certain seasons when the lightning round is more. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, threatening than others. So let's just put that on the record. Get off the top of those mountains before lunchtime, friends. That's right. Get down down below the trees if you can. Uh, so we have five left, and these five are also very important. I don't want to diminish their importance by any means. Uh, however, we've decided to take no position on these. Uh, we, I, I should say, for all of these, Zach, Lutheran Advocacy and our policy committee takes positions, right, based on our social teaching. However, we think that people of faith can conscientiously come to any conclusion about any of these. Uh, This is not canon law. This is not writ in stone that uh, people must obey. And if it were canon law, it wouldn't even apply to us because we're Lutheran. That's exactly right. There's a Lutheran uh, aspect there. Um, Sola fide, sola... Scriptura Sola Gratia, is that? Am I getting Sola Podcast, I think it's Sola Podcast. Welcome back to Sola Podcast. Uh, Maybe we'll change the title. We've had a lot of titles. Let's quick Uh, hit. But anyway, so we're all that to say just people of faith can take take any position on any of these. So I don't want people to think that this is a mandate by any means um, or that they're not doing it. Except for 114. Uh, We, (laughs) well, 114, we'll get into it. Uh, These are not. this is not how we are justified. We are not justified by the law. We are justified by God alone. So uh, anyhow, let's let's quick hit it. I want to start with uh, Prop 114, just because yes. you love it. Love it. Tell me about it, Zach. What do you got? Gray wolves. Oh, Peter, I, a couple summers ago, really got into this, but I did not know. I'm going to start by talking about 114 by telling you about uh, the moose. Uh, do you know where the moose live in Colorado? Uh, there's like a whole moose visitor center. If I had to guess... Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to say Lake Granby. Lake Granby. That's pretty good. That's pretty close. Uh, if you go to the top of the Pooter Canyon, you go up 14. At the very top there, um, there's a moose center, and you can find tons of moose up in there. But here's the thing that I found uh, interesting that's true about the moose. Not hmm. a native species to Colorado. Uh, ah. We introduced the moose to Colorado, and we introduced the bighorn sheep. Uh, yes. Neither one of those animals is native to Colorado, uh, which is interesting because a number of really interesting uh, mammals 
large mammals were native to Colorado, and we decided we would kill them all. Uh, my personal favorite, the one on which I'm most excited about, is the grizzly. There used to be a species, a species, a distinct species of grizzly, the Colorado grizzly, uh, and that's a fabulous story. And we killed them all, and we killed the last one in 1952 oh. uh, until the next one showed. The last one actually showed up 20 years later. Uh, no. We thought they were extinct. It's an incredible story. The last, the go, uh, ghost grizzly, a uh, Colorado grizzly attacked someone in the early 70s, and we killed that one too. Um, and wow. so there has not been a, a verified sighting since then. But, you know, there is a lingering question of do the do the grizzlies exist somewhere? And there are some guesses and uh, folks are not incentivized to, to verify sightings because it would trigger the Endangered Species Act and the feds would come in and shut down mm -hmm. all sort of ranching and which gets us into some of the issues here. Uh, right. Ranching, hunting, all that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah. The gray wolf is similar to that in that they used to be live in Colorado and we killed them all. Uh, and so 114 uh, is a proposition, not an amendment, uh, yes. to reintroduce gray wolf populations uh, in a mannered, uh, managed uh, managed way back to and, the state. And probably mannered way, you know, politely. Mannered, we would politely. Do it politely. Uh, excuse yeah. me, Mr. Wolf, uh, right this way. If you, uh, if you would please just uh, come down to uh, La Plata County with me. <laughs> Your elk is ready. It's ready. Wherever. Um, yes. Yeah, so this would... You're right, though this we would do have some populations uh, from Wyoming who have, who, have, who have come into the state recently. Yes. Um, on their own, there are some folks who are saying that the, the gray wolves are coming on their own. Uh, though we don't know that. But this, a vote yes on 114, would, uh, by 2023, establish a gray wolf population. Yes, the Parks and Wildlife would have to create a plan to introduce them and manage them in Colorado on certain public lands. So, yeah, you're, you're right to point out. I mean, we, we wiped out the gray wolves 70 years ago. Uh, so advocates think, you know, we're reintroducing a native species. It'll support the ecosystem's health. Um, there are others who think that, you know, the science is not as as conclusive because ecology is just not a simple science, right? Like the, the ecology of Colorado has changed a lot in 70 years and we have way more people. We have way more public land use. We have way more ranching activity, uh, economic activity there. So it's not necessarily super straightforward. Um, but there's, there's a lot of info out there on either side and I encourage you to, uh, to look for it. Peter, this is not going to come as a surprise to you, I don't think, or our listeners, but I am in favor of reintroducing native species that we actively uh -huh. uh, destroyed uh -huh. um, because of – I'm going to go back to – here's my hot take on uh, the ecology and my Lutheran take on it. Because of that priesthood of all believers, mm. um, I think it is important for wild spaces to be wild and that I think a part of – the, the process that we're called to is rewilding some spaces. Mm. You know, um, I think that that uh, it's like I'm, I'm against urban gardens, <laughs> which is a hot take. <laughs> right. Uh, wow. But the most ecological thing for us to do is to live densely. Uh, mm. That is the way that, that we can most effectively um, start to limit climate control change. Uh, it's a hot take would. in a pandemic. Let's let's pack us in I as know. densely as possible. But uh, yes, I, I hear what you're saying. There's like right? efficiencies that we gain by living closely together, and it lets us have more space to to let the wild be the wild. Yeah. And just because I can do everything doesn't mean I should do everything. So I need to let farmers be farmers, uh, and I can be an apartment dweller. Um, and uh, there are places. I love the national park system. Uh, one of the things I like about the national park system is how it directs tourist traffic. 
uh, away from a lot of other, the majority of federally and state owned wild lands, um, that, because it, it's such a small portion of the, of, of those lands, but it, that's where you go if you're a tourist and stuff. Right. And so it helps keep, uh, like, like people in Montana, right. Everybody loves Glacier. Glacier is beautiful. Glacier National Park, you get a ton of traffic there. Uh, but the real wild place, right. Is like the Bob Marshall wilderness, uh, in part because it doesn't get that traffic because everybody goes to Glacier. Uh, and you can look up plenty of examples. I'm, I'm, I care much more about the grizzly um, than I do the gray wolf uh, for no real reason. But uh, if you look at uh, East Flathead, West Flathead River, um, you can find lots of really good examples of people living together with grizzlies uh, and figuring it out. And they don't have... Uh, a lot of people live, you know, in the near Flathead and Whitefish and all that kind of stuff with grizzlies, and it's not like grizzlies are on epic murdering sprees mm. um, all the time. We'll be back to more Montana Cast right after these messages <laughs> from the Montana Division of Parks and Wildlife. Well, yeah, thanks, thanks for that, Zach, because that's uh, that's well observed. I quick think, hit, uh, lightning round. That's a quick hit. All right, let's go to Prop One Fifteen. <laughs> Talking about everybody's oh, easy favorite one. and right, uh, the 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 uh, very easy to talk about subject of abortion in Colorado. Uh, this is Prop 115, which would prohibit abortion after 22 weeks of gestation, except in cases to save the life of the mother. Uh, what I want to say about this, in terms of our quick hit on this, is that first of all, if you are a person of faith who uh, deeply cares about this issue, um, there are. Uh, a number of groups on that are advocating on both sides of this issue. Um, the certainly the Catholic dioceses are very much in favor of this and are advocating on that on that side. Uh, if you are opposed to this, I think the Interfaith Alliance of Colorado is a really great place to go for more information on the No on 115 campaign. So just know that there's a lot of um, faith-based activity on this issue. Uh, the ELCA uh, does have a social statement on abortion. Talks about our, our convictions here. Um, and I think I really always encourage folks that, especially if they have strong opinions about this issue, to read that social statement. Because it was passed in 1991, it is not a novella. It is actually almost a, an actual statement. It's mm -hmm. a lot shorter. Uh, but it really addresses the issue with a it's lot of— It's pretty good, um, so— it's, it's, I think it's really well done. And it's, it's grounded in um, compassion, first and foremost, and really caring for the you know, individual person, the woman who's making this decision. Um, that's where it starts. And uh, I really think that is the place to start if you are a, a moral actor deliberating on this issue. Um, so I would encourage folks to to start there in terms of their reading if they don't already have sort of a, a clear thought about this proposition. Yeah, things that, that I, uh, I probably should not be making decisions. <laughs> um. Another example, right? I mean, this is weird. You know, here we are to white guys talking about uh, abortion and issue, especially access that affects uh, women of color with, with great disproportionate uh, effect in terms of equitable access. So um, that's also really important to bear in mind, especially right now. In and terms in a of, state like, surrounded by states that, that have these sorts of bans, right? Like people exactly. travel to Colorado to, to access exactly. these resources. So That's very well observed. Yeah, there's a lot of, our, a lot of states around us um, People come here to access those services because they don't have them at home, and it becomes really expensive, time-consuming, and and in in some cases traumatizing to have to go across state lines to find that. So, um, so that's where we're at on Prop 115. Um, let's move uh, in our quick hits to 
Zach, let me ask you this. Do you want to do you want to end the podcast talking about gambling or tobacco? Because oh, gambling. Gambling's the closer for sure. All right. All right. So let's go to Prop EE then first. Uh, we'll, we'll end with gambling. Proposition EE is the tobacco and e-cigarette tax increase. Uh, Zach, if you had to guess what the current tax rate on nicotine vape and vaping devices in Colorado is, just throw out a number. Give me a guess. 17.1%. Zero. What? <laughs> the answer is zero. On all nicotine or all like vape based? Vape devices. All, okay, all, all right. vaping okay. devices are not taxed in Colorado I believe at that. all right now. Uh, so this crazy, is being called a zero to 63 measure because it would raise the tax on vape devices to 63% of the MSRP, man- manufacturer mm-hmm. suggested retail price. Uh, it would also raise the existing tobacco tax. We do have tax on like traditional cigarettes and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea is to use the revenue to uh, backfill some of the pandemic related budget cuts to education. That's really the first and foremost place the revenue would go. Uh, also to... Um, uh, a few areas related to health and, and tobacco use um, prevention, things like that. Uh, you know, you are with the youth of Colorado, Zach. Mm-hmm. You're much more in touch than I am. Um, do you see the popularity of vape devices at all in, on campus? Or is, For is sure. Super vapey. <laughs> vapey all the way down. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's the mascot that the companies have come up that's with. Right. Yeah, I, uh, I'm surrounded by college students who vape. I mean, like... Or I see a ton of it, right? Like, I see yeah. way more vaping than I ever saw, like, college students smoking. Um, uh-huh. Also, I grew up in, in North Carolina and was heavily influenced by Nancy Reagan. Um, mm. And so, uh, you know, I'm pretty anti-tobacco uh, the, stuff. The, the actress? Is that... The actress, that's Nancy right. Reagan, uh, yes. And uh, at the same time, Peter, I don't know if vice taxes uh, are the way for us to generate revenue when we could have, like, a progressive tax income tax that would help us fund things i'm not uh, sure that's typically that's poor people well smoke uh and yeah. they shouldn't be footing the bill for mm-hmm. yeah opponents of this measure are say exactly that they think that um a lot of the revenue is going to be re- going to be raised on the backs of lower income people um people that can least afford basically to be paying higher taxes. The, the advocates for this, and I'll, I'll just say that I've, I've heard some of the arguments, they, they're aware of the equity question that's involved. And they've said that the, the groups that have been identified, the, uh, you know, low-income users, as well as, as, well as youth, actually, um, are the most price-sensitive users mm-hmm. in all of the, in sort of yeah. the demographic of people using tobacco. Um, so the idea is that reducing is that raising taxes will reduce rates in a very direct way in those communities. Um, that there's been a lot of like unfair historical targeting, of, especially of low income and, and communities of color mm-hmm. in terms of like tobacco advertising. Um, so the, the, there's, not a, there's not equity in terms of like those usage rates, right? And so the idea that um, taxes would drive down usage rates is, you know, the advocates, including Dr. Yudira Caraveo, who's a legislator, is, is a sponsor of this bill. That, that referred this um, say that they they believe that this is an equity measure to support it. So you can you can see arguments on either side. I think for that, uh, it's also it's really about time that R.J. Reynolds, the R.J. Reynolds family, caught a break. <laughs> you know, it's funny you say that, Zach, because um, there there is only one funder to the formal opposition <laughs> to Proposition EE in Colorado. Yeah, who is that? Do you want to guess who that is? Uh, <laughs> it's it's a company called Liggett Vector Brands, mm. the fourth largest cigarette manufacturer in these United States of America. Okay. Um, 
So they are, it's not RJ Reynolds, but you, you might have thought that, you know, they have mm-hmm. their hands in there. Yeah, so this is, this is really being strongly opposed by the tobacco industry, and they have put up billboards that I have seen on I-25 um, um, that say, you know, no more taxes, and, you know, this is not fair. Um, well, they're really out for their own interest, you know. They don't want to. <laughs> what? <laughs> We're breaking more news here, folks. This is really hot, hot off the press. So anyway, that is Proposition EE. Uh, let's end, as you mentioned, Zach, the pod with the final two measures on the Gambling. Ballot. Gambling. Gamble, 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 die. That's uh, it's just my future. Um, so let's see. Amendment C, referred from the legislature. Uh, this one is a sort of gambling adjacent. Let's call it that. It I've had to deal with years. this directly. You have. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, this is. You might be the only person in Colorado that I have ever heard from directly who knows about charitable bingos and raffles. Uh, this would lower the number of years a nonprofit has to exist before getting a charitable gaming license. Uh, a lot of charitable groups use bingos and raffles and lotto and stuff to raise funds for their activities. So this is trying to make it easier for them to do that. It would also require them to. Um, it would allow them to pay an outside group uh, minimum wage in order to run those rather than requiring an unpaid volunteer to run like hmm. your bingo hall activity Interesting. your nonprofit. Tell me about your experience with this. Yeah, I so I, uh, you know, as the pastor of Lutheran Campus Ministry, uh, I'm also kind of like the executive director of a small nonprofit. And yeah. we do fundraising and stuff, right? And so we have a beer tasting that's lots of fun. Uh, I think you've been in the past. Um, yes. And yes. We've, we've talked about doing things like a raffle, uh, but we can't, this doesn't actually, you know, um, <laughs> it's really regulated and we never do raffle. That always gets uh, shot down immediately because we have to, the state needs to get involved in my like selling tickets to 100 people to. <laughs> to raffle to, off the Kabirstein. Yeah. Um, you have to call it a drawing. Beer. You cannot call it a raffle. Wow. Um, Interesting. Which seems surprising for Colorado, to be honest, right? Like in a state that is uh, is Mountain West in that sort of like, I mean, it's in the preamble, right? Like independence and stuff. Well, the supreme Um, ruler of the universe uh, has created us that we might take chances with our lives and our money. Um, I mean, I was just in in Leadville. Yes. uh, Oh, yeah. And they had a great quote from, uh, oh, gosh, who is it? Oh man, some uh, old timey like writer who visited Leadville and was remarking on how insane it was, and uh, <laughs> and he was supposed to come with a traveling partner, and the traveling partner didn't come, was not with him when he got here, and somebody asked him where he was, and he said, "Well, he died," and the, and the person in Leadville's immediate response was, "Who shot him?" <laughs> <laughs> As if that was the only way one might die. Uh, in Leadville. Wow. That's, in our, that's our Wild West heritage. Um, uh, there was a wow. sign above the piano player at the bar that night that said, um, that that this guy said was the, the greatest piece of art criticism he's ever seen. Please don't shoot the piano player. He's doing his best. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's, I mean, that sounds like kind of a Doc Holiday type of a thing. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, uh, well, there you go, folks. So there's charitable bingos and raffles. Um, no yeah, stance on that. That's pretty. We have no stance. Um, that seems really, know. again, not worth <laughs> the money you spent to get it on the. Well, this was not money. Didn't take this mm-hmm. on the ballot. Oh, it came from the legislature. I guess that's true. Yeah. 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 The right. legislature. Said I guess it must be in the in the Constitution then. Right. Like it this is in the regulation of 
raffles. Yes, it sure is. We, we take it so seriously that we put it in our constitution. Uh, now, as somebody who has participated in the 50-50 raffle at Coors Field, but never won, um, I want to do whatever I can to increase my likelihood of winning that in the future whenever we can watch baseball again in person in probably 2024, you think? 25? Peter, um, if the listeners made this deep into the podcast, they deserve the story, uh, which is one of my great criticisms about the state of Colorado, which I would like Lutheran Advocacy Ministry to address. Number wow. one, of course, is a reintroduction of the grizzly. Yep. Uh, number two is I'm really disappointed as a person who grew up in a small town in the South that high school football in Colorado uh, gets played at like district stadiums. Um huh. Right. So like in Boulder, right, there are two big high schools in Boulder, Fairview and Boulder. Boulder has a stadium. Fairview plays all of their home games at Boulder High School because it's the stadium where they play. Then Longmont, everybody plays at Longmont High. Uh, and so you don't get to play like true home games. One of the things I want to do in life, Peter, maybe you can join me. Maybe our listeners can join me. I would like, uh, you know, when there's baseball, course field, when there's football uh, in Idaho Springs, at that little stadium on the side of I-70, Yes, uh, the, uh, I want this... to go on a Friday night to that football stadium to watch what is probably like just eight man football. I want a chili dog. Uh, I want a sun drop. I'll have to bring that in myself. And I want to enter a 50 50 raffle. One of my Colorado wow. goals. That is a very specific vision for Colorado's future. Um, and if there's one thing I know, it's that I'm easily influenced by people who have really specific visions. Mm-hmm. For Colorado's future. Here so. in Louisville, where I live, Louisville's uh, high school, Monarch, plays their home games in Lafayette at Centaurus. Oh, I'd see, I didn't know any of this. I'm so disconnected with the youth of Colorado. I, and, and my deeper issue with it is, I think one of the, the transitions that we're in as a state is this movement from extractive industries, which are inherently anti-community, right? Like that's the issue with Leadville is you come, you get your money and you leave. And it's true in ski towns, right? You're extracting industries, not about developing and building communities. Tourism is extractive. Um, yeah. And so as our state grows into this new era where we are going to have to figure out how to live together. We've got to change that mentality. And a high school football stadium, one thing I know as a person who grew up in a small town in the South, uh, nothing can build community. Uh, it's just a great tool to be the center of your community, not just for football games, but for um, all the things that my town did happen at the football stadium. Wow. Well, I, I hope that the listeners who have made it this far with us appreciate this because that actually – was way more nuanced and a well-founded take than I was expecting when you started talking about chili dogs in Idaho Springs. Incredibly nuanced takes. That's what we're (laughs) this podcast network is known for. That's what we're all right. We're we're famous for that. We've reached the end of the ballot, Zach. We have one last thing, if you can believe it. And that's Amendment 77. Uh, Amendment 77. Talk about you want to talk about gambling in the mountains. Uh, Mm -hmm. This would allow voters in those towns where we allow legalized gambling Central City, Cripple Creek, Blackhawk, to raise the current maximum betting limit and approve uh, additional kinds of gaming if they so choose. So the the maximum bet limit right now is $100. So you can only make a bet of up to Individual wager, right? Individual wager, that is correct. Uh, like you can, per you hand. can play hundred dollar mm-hmm. blackjack all night and probably lose, you know, thousands. You of can dollars. lose as much money as you want, but it's going to take right. you a lot. You have to do it a hundred dollars at a time. But this would allow you to to blow through that stack of cash way faster. Uh, but it would also allow those towns again to collect a lot more revenue based on you know gambling uh, the way it's taxed. The state also collects revenue off that. 
Um, so this is this would be allowing voters in those towns to choose to do that. This would not automatically do it. The people of Cripple Creek, Central City, wherever, they would all have to vote on it locally. But uh, because gambling is in the Constitution, Zach, this is why it is an amendment, and that's why we have to all vote on it. So. Yeah. Yeah, in the church, we, we don't really have a specific position on gambling other than that we actually do oppose state-sponsored lotteries. Um, we think that services should be funded by equitably collected tax revenue rather than, you know, regressive taxes like lotteries. Um, but this would just allow the state to tax privately run casinos. So it is a little bit different. Um, you have to weigh kind of the, the drawbacks of increasing uh, a vice like gambling against the positive effects of, you know, what that revenue is going to be used for. And in this case, it would primarily be directed actually at community college student retention and completion rate improvement. Uh, it does have a specific purpose where they want to use the revenue. So that's where a lot of the existing revenue goes also. So, Yeah, I don't know how I feel about gambling, Peter. I mean, I, I do some sports wagering. Uh, uh, you know, certainly now that it's legal, I do it. It's allowed now um, in Colorado, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I see, I, I, yeah, I don't know what to do. I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, I do know it's uh, been a gangbuster year for community colleges in uh, the state of Colorado. I have a friend who's an administrator for the Colorado Mountain College. Oh, Which yeah. is really a super interesting school um, for our Colorado listeners, a community college for like the whole western two thirds of the states with campuses from like Steamboat to Leadville um, yeah. to down the south- southwestern part of the state. But with all of the pandemical things that have been going on, um, you know, even though I work at the flagship institution of the state, the four year um, AAU member university, um, such good, important work happens at our community colleges, um, mm-hmm. you know, so. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's what we got to weigh as voters. I mean, that's all we're doing with this whole ballot. We're just weighing. It's a lot of weighing and measuring. And my friend Sean has just like the coolest job where he just like rides around like the western, like the most beautiful parts of the state, you know, from campus mm-hmm. to campus to like, um, wow. you know, Glenwood to just all, Gunny, like all these places. Durango, Gunnison, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's pretty amazing. Um, I fellow licensed fisher. Well, we some thank goodness together. you better tell him about uh, the gray wolves. And oh, I'm the sure he's a listener. And, sure, he's a listener. Uh, he's definitely a listener of the pod. Shout out to Sean. Um, as you're driving that uh, million dollar highway from Montrose down through Uray to Durango, I uh, hope you're listening <laughs> to the pod uh, to make make some decisions. Well, Zach, we've we did it. We did it. We talked I'm about educated, the I'm prepared. Ballot. That was my primary goal was to help me become a better voter. And uh, I think we did that part. <laughs> well, I, if, if nothing else, this pod serves to educate you alone. Uh, it will have succeeded on that score. I agree, Peter. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Um, we should. We could do. We could do other stuff. You know, I don't know. Name like it. Name image likeness. Uh, but we need to get people out of here because uh, we don't want to do an hour and a half. Uh, and I think again, I think we'll conclude, Peter, with another brief reading of the preamble to the Constitution of the State of Colorado. Take it away. We, the people of Colorado, here, Nick. I want you to put in some like inspirational music if you could. Okay. We. The people of Colorado, with profound reverence for the Supreme... We were already doing drugs, like, in the 1800s. <laughs> with Opium. profound uh, reverence for the supreme ruler of the universe. Can we make an amendment where it, the name, it's like comma, space, man, comma, in order to form a more independent and perfect government? Establish justice is the first one. 
ensure tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourself and our posteriors. Do ordain. Hmm. Wait. Hmm. Do ordain and establish this constitution for the state of Colorado and may Pod bless the United States of America.